my name is Dimitri. I'm Isabella. Alexander. I'm Zali. I'm Teddy. And I'm 23. And I'm 12, 16 years old. Almost 28,000 young people. Aged between 12 and 24. Are homeless in Australia. Earlier on any given night. Did you know that a survey of young people on youth allowance found that 9 in 10 skip meals and 1 in 3 have withdrawn their studies because of lack of funds? Did you know that 1 in 3 young people aged 15 to 24 who seek help from homelessness services identify as Indigenous? Did you know the youth unemployment rate is now at 13.9%? More than double the national average. In the spirit of reconciliation, Y Foundations acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Welcome to the Young and Homeless podcast brought to you by Y Foundations, New South Wales peak body for youth homelessness. Y Foundation supports services who support young people who are experiencing or at risk of homelessness. My name is Pam Barker and I'm the CEO of Y Foundations and I will be your host and I'm honoured to take you on the journey while I interview passionate and dedicated human beings who want to end youth homelessness in Australia. In this podcast series, we will chat with some amazing speakers who are politicians, government workers, service providers, researchers, academics, and people with a lived experience of homelessness. We will tackle some of the important issues faced by children and young people at risk of or who are experiencing homelessness in Australia. Our podcast is launched today on Youth Homeless Matters Day with a special four-part Youth Homeless Matters Day episode. We want to explore what Youth Homeless Matters Day is all about and why youth homelessness is still such a critical issue that we should all care about today. Today, we're joined by Jodie from Veritas House. Jodie is the CEO and Principal Officer of Veritas House, a non-for-profit, community-based organisation that has been providing youth homelessness, support, foster care and family support services in central western New South Wales for 40 years. Jodie is also a director on the board of the Association of Children's Welfare Agencies, ACWA and Y Foundations, and is co-chair of the Regional Implementation Group for Out-of-Home Care in western New South Wales. She has worked in the non-for-profit sector in western New South Wales for over 20 years and has tirelessly advocated for quality service provision and sustainable funding in the organisations in which she has worked. She holds a master's degree in human services management and policy and a bachelor of social science through Charles Stewart University. So Jodie, welcome. Thanks Pam. I'm going to break the ice a little bit here and ask you a a question to warm you up a little bit because we'll be interviewing you today and we all know you love the media as we've talked about earlier. (laughs) What's your favourite thing you used to do as a, as a teenager, as a child? What's your favourite thing you'd get up to that you enjoyed doing? I originally came from the coast, so Wollongong. So I am a bit of a coastal girl, so I love the beach, love the ocean. Terrific. Also, oh, what else did, did, did I love? Um, love horses. So I yeah. uh, was uh, fortunate enough to have a lot of animals and a lot of horses in my childhood, so that was awesome. So you're a keen horse rider? Well, I was. <laughs> I would love to be now, but yeah, um, time is time is an issue. So, 
yeah, but I do participate in, we have equine therapy at Veritas, so I do participate in uh, some of the horse rides that we do at Yarrabin uh, when I get when I get uh, the time. Terrific, terrific. And the young people enjoy doing the equine therapy? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing uh, to take about eight kids out into the bush and um, we have a partnership with Yarrabin, which is a horse riding place. And we do a lot of groups there. We do horse riding, drumming, bushwalks, all that kind of thing. So it's just great to take both staff and, and some of our young people out out of the office, out of the refuge, and um, into nature. Really, uh, it's a it's a, it's a good opportunity. Must be a very grounding experience both for your team and young people. So the reason why you're joining us today, Jodie, is you're one of our very first interviewees in our new podcast for Why Foundations. And this is a very special uh, podcast that's being released in um, in the lineup for Youth Homeless Matters Day. So we'll be launching this today, which is Youth Homeless Matters Day, and um, and you're one of our very first interviewees. So thank you for joining us, and we really appreciate the time you've taken to be a part of this. Thanks, Pam. Bit of pressure, but... <laughs> That's all right. I love your spirit of just getting in and uh, giving it a go. You're a woman after my own heart. I'm a bit the same. Just give it a go. What could go wrong? And um, and we will tell some important stories about our young people, which you guys definitely do support. So Veritas House has a rich history. Having opened its first service in 1979 in Orange, you've been the CEO for Veritas for over 11 years now. What do you think has been the highlight of these 11 years for you? I, Pam, I think there's been many. Uh, I think probably the, 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 the one that stands out for me is, I guess, the opportunity to work alongside um, some of the most amazing staff and amazing young people. It's been an absolute privilege, really, uh, to, I guess, to be in a role that uh, allows you to work with some of the most resilient and exciting uh, young people in our community. So that's probably the standout. I think uh, the privilege is that to see um, it's not always easy. It's qu- quite confronting in terms of seeing young people come into the service in crisis yeah. uh, with, uh, I guess, a number of vulnerabilities. The the beauty of my role is seeing the team. Uh, work with that young person and that family and seeing them move forward in their lives and, and, and I guess reach some of their goals that are important to them. I think that's the, the priceless thing that I experience every day is to see yeah, young people move forward, reach their potential and move you know back into the community uh, and, and contributing. So yeah. that would be the key one for me. The, the other thing that I think that's I guess kept me in this role is also about oh, I guess working for um, um, an NGO that is uh, being being a part of a team that um, helps services like Veritas stay on the ground and keep the doors yeah. open. And that's about running a quality service. That's about uh, being responsive and, I guess, advocating for not only the needs of young people but the needs of um, our sector as well. I guess services like Veritas need to remain open. We need to be, be accountable but we also need to be supported by, by our peaks and by government to continue to, to, to do this role. The hard thing about the last 11 years has been seeing the, the increases in, in demand for our services. Yeah. It's, look, it's unfortunate that our services are, are needed, needed in the community but, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad we are, we are here. And we are a bit of an anchor for many, many young people and families in the communities we serve. Definitely. 
So what led you to become the CEO of Veritas? Why the CEO, Jody? <laughs> I think that was not, not what I set out to do uh, originally, Pam. So I... Why'd you say yes? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, um, I guess, I started, took the job at Veritas 11 years ago and I just had my son, Jarrah, and I'd heard and seen a lot of great stuff that um, the workers at Veritas had done and I wanted to be a part of that. At the time when I first started, we were we were a youth refuge and also we had a little counselling service. And although it was anchored in the community and, and quite iconic, it um, was also a service that was uh, quite vulnerable in terms of funding issues and being so standalone and small. The last 11 years were, for me, were about ensuring that Veritas remained viable and, and responsive. Veritas needed to grow because we that the market, the NFP market is quite competitive. Yeah. And uh, I guess strategically our board and our staff, I guess our main goal was to make sure Veritas remained in the community. So we needed to grow, but grow in areas that uh, complemented our service. So um, I guess that's sort of how it started. So and I think the biggest, the biggest, uh, the most important thing for us was to maintain our, our, our youth homelessness services in Bathurst and maintain the Veritas brand because we knew it was anchored in the community and we knew that it was needed. So, yeah, uh, it's been an interesting 11 years here where we've, we've gone through many reforms and mm-hmm. we have managed to keep the doors open. As I said, we started with 10 staff when I first started and we've now got over 100 um, wow. across Bathurst, Orange and beyond. That's huge, um, Jody. Yeah, yeah. But, but, and it was all about keeping Veritas in this community, so we needed to grow. And we did move into um, out-of-home care, so we do have a, a large contract in PSP. I guess for us, moving into foster care and residential care was more around, again, our youth homelessness services some of those some of those young people were in care as well. So yeah. we would always worked on the on the edge of um, um out of home care. But uh yeah we took the plunge in I think 2014 and um ventured into out of home care. And also uh I guess along the journey we also picked up another another couple of services that were really important to us and that was high up in terms of yeah. our, being a part of uh, a better response to under 16s. The Premier's Youth Initiative was also a service that we 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 were really passionate about when we saw the pilot come out. I guess it, it's a good blend of both uh, youth SHS and, and 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 PSP work. So we also secured um, the Premier's Youth Initiative a couple of years ago as well, and that um, it's important to us because I guess we don't want to see kids leaving care with just a suitcase. Um, they need to leave care with 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 housing with um, social support networks in place and, I guess, you know, access to adequate employment yeah. and training. Of course. And I guess for the those listening in at home, the HIAP program is a program designed for young people under the age of 16 to be supported and reunited back with their families through um, support from a service provider, um, obviously DCJ overseeing because they're the funders, 
um, and working with other third parties like schools and other things to get young people out of the homelessness system back with families. But Jody, we know with the high app system, um, unfortunately, a lot of the young people that we do end up meeting that mm. enter that program are sort of at the very end. It's not an early intervention response. It tends to be um, young people who are on the road to being um, moderately to chronically homeless um, as a young person. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's usually reached crisis point. We wish we could intervene earlier with some of these kids and families, but it's not always, doesn't always happen like that. I guess uh, our under-16 service or HIAP service is we provide both family mediation and support, but also we do, when, when safe to do so, we do sometimes have to provide accommodation for those yeah. under-16s in our youth refuge as well. So it's a bit of a balancing act, uh, The I guess, our response to, to under-16-year-olds who, who are homeless or at risk of homelessness. And I guess for, for under-16s, it, it's a lot more complex in terms of they are at risk of significant harm and um, I guess the both the child protection sector and also the homelessness sector needs to work in collaboration around this cohort of kids Um, it doesn't always happen because of I guess the lack of resources from in the child protection system and I guess their priority has to be responding to kids under 12 Um, but (laughs) I guess I need to reinforce that 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 12 to 15 cohort of kids are are very, very vulnerable yeah, and if 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 anything, the most vulnerable because they're starting to become independent, getting involved and experimenting with things like um, relationships and alcohol and other drugs, um, and starting to get a bit more freedom, which then obviously leads to some risk taking, trying to find where you fit in the world. And if those steps are not calculated and someone's not supporting you, you can get yourself in a bit of strife as a young person pretty quickly. So yeah. you're quite right there, Jody. Definitely. I think this segues us really nicely um, to my next question for you is that, as you know, today's Youth Homeless Matters Day and around um, the nation, many different services are celebrating, um, advocating, um, doing lots of many different exciting, fun um, and meaningful activities to really, um, I guess, highlight the issues that young people face as well as um, highlight the success and resilience of young people um, on a day like today. We've asked everyone on the podcast, why does youth homelessness matter and why does it matter to you? Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Youth Homelessness Matters Day has been around for a long time. I can remember even 15 years ago celebrating it. I think Youth Homelessness Matters Day is so important for me and and I guess both personally and professionally, but also for the service sector and uh, I guess the broader community as well. Yeah, we celebrate Youth Homelessness Matters Day every year, and we try to do special things both in house with with our with our young people in our services, but also out in the community as well to raise awareness that um, youth homelessness it, it does matter, and it matters because young people they that they need to be given a fair go, they need to be given access to safe, affordable housing, they also need to have access to quality support, and I guess all that goes with that. 
Definitely. And I think um, that is one of the biggest issues in Australia is affordable housing. Um, Just this month, there's been a lot in the media about um, things like the youth allowance, um, the job seeker payments ending. Um, I know the Sydney Morning Herald have picked up quite a few um, articles in relation to the affordability of young people being able to rent and stay in employment or pursue education. And Youth Homeless Matters really points out the lack of equality that young people have access to in order to be successful in their lives. Youth Homeless Matters Day, I guess, is one day a year that shines a light on that, Jody. Um, but we know that on a day-to-day basis, a lot of our services are struggling um, and we don't want to take away from the day of Youth Homeless Matters. As you've said, it's an important day, both internally for your service, but externally in an advocacy, I guess, as an ad- advocacy event. So we know this year has been particularly difficult for services in our sector as demands on services rise and funding hasn't been increased for some time. With the ERO supplementation cuts, indexation issues, the situation may worsen. So what are some of the main issues your service is facing if you don't receive the Commonwealth supplementation? So we know in New South Wales, the government has met the indexation for New South Wales DCJ-based contracts, but there is still a huge sector that has not gotten a commitment from the government. What's going to be the impact to a service like yours? Because I know before you said you guys are 50-50 funded. What does that mean? Yeah, we just, um, we just, we're starting to negotiate our um, SHS contracts for Bathurst and Orange. It become apparent to us that we are, there's there's going to be a shortfall um, over the next couple of years. I guess, firstly, we are so appreciative of the funding that we get to run these services because these services are critical to the community. We are, I'm also really relieved in some ways that um, we're in recontracting now for SHS uh, and it isn't like 2014 where um, going home, staying home, I think those that, those that um, are, were in the industry probably will. I know I am still quite traumatised by the, the massive spill and feel that happened and the way the sector was treated. So I'm just going to go with the positives first, Pam. <laughs> The positives are that we're about to negotiate three years' worth of funding. Um, we don't have to retender. We don't have to uh, put our services on the line. Um, it, it's a relatively straightforward kind of negotiation, which is good. Yeah. Um, the service specifications are also a, a lot more clearer and uh, some of the areas around no wrong door and those kind of um, areas are starting to be more refined, um, also around low, medium, yeah. high. We, we, we're moving through those issues and creating some kind of defined um, understanding around that. We're in 2021 and the recontracting looks really, really different, so I'm, I, I'm really relieved about that. But as we drill into these contracts, yeah, ERO and indexation uh, are an issue for us. We've worked out between both both our SHS contracts. Um, I guess it's a shortfall of over a hundred thousand dollars. What that means on the ground is that um, I guess it, it means as demand for services increase, I guess we don't have the money to pay wages. So um, our budgets are fixed at um, the funding we get. Um, we need to run a 24-7 refuge. We also need to provide transitional housing and outreach. Um, and our budgets are set at um, the funding we have now, if we don't get um, access to ERO, ERO and also um, the federal indexation dollars, uh, we will have a shortfall. 
So um, it means we have to reduce our services uh, across our youth SHS um, contracts. Yeah, and that's going to have quite a detrimental impact on your ability to deliver services as the need increases is what I'm yeah. hearing you say. Yeah, yeah, that's a few positions that we would um, we will need to re- re-look at in terms of our, our, I guess, our current model and our current structure. How you do, how, yeah. how you and do I guess, things. I guess for us too, running, we run two 24-7 youth refuges in both Bathurst and Orange. They're fixed costs. You, your wages are fixed and mm. um, your wages are the, the major component to, yeah. to running the service. The service never shuts. <laughs> and um, if you have a funding shortfall, you, you lose your ability to run it, really, um, because it has to be open 24-7. Of course, and you're hiring amazing youth workers and social workers to parent these amazing human beings that are highly resilient but homeless at such a young age and the work that goes in is not tick and flick. It's very meaningful and we're striving to get positive outcomes, as you said earlier, for some of these young people so they can live really enriched, productive lives and contribute back to society and you can't can't cut costs there <laughs> on those fixed costs. It's just you don't, you know, if you you, you take, you know, um, a parent or a family member out of the picture, the load gets bigger for those that are involved. So regardless if you were, you know, looking at it from a, a tick and flick type of view, there is no, you can't get the home brand version of running no. a, a youth work. You can't get the, the skinny version cutting costs because we just won't get the results that our young people want to achieve through yeah. working with your organisation. Yeah, we can't we can't uh, cut corners. Uh, no. We need funding certainty to retain staff as well. Um, we it costs it costs money to provide a team to work with this cohort of kids. Um, this, the teams that we run they need to be trauma informed. They need we need to provide a culturally safe service. And uh, I guess our fixed costs remain the same. We you know we can't we can't um, compromise on that. I guess also um, young people coming into our homeless services, it's been often quite isolating for them, destabilising, um, and I guess for, for many of them that, that they've come from some pretty complex situations that uh, that have caused a lot of trauma for them. So we need teams on the ground that are solid, that are trained and that have some certainty around the, the services they work for and um I guess, the the kinds of models that they're going to operate. Yeah, definitely. And that's a really good lead in to my next question for you is what are some of the the key issues your young people face, these young people residing in the homelessness services? It it can vary. Um, Homelessness doesn't, it doesn't matter where you come from. You can definitely experience homelessness. Uh, Young people that that are coming into our service are often, um, there's a a lot of drivers towards youth homelessness, but um, one big one for us is is family breakdown. Um, Often they are, things haven't gone well at home and um, some some of our young people have been couch surfing, they're quite transient and um, a lot of them don't know we're here either. So often um, they've been homeless for, for for a significant period of time before they actually um, get through our doors 
I think I was reading last week, I think one in six young people aged 15 to 19 have been homeless at some stage. So those stats are really scary. So but I think the major drive is family breakdown for us, um, domestic violence, and uh, I guess mental health is definitely increasing as uh, a reason for um, young people um, accessing our service. Um, in terms of what, what young people need, I think, I, and this is, this is probably, it, it, it's, systemic but um for us in the regions it's it's about there's just a lack of uh, affordable housing i think the market it's so thin at the moment i think we're um i think it's about one percent vacancy rate for rentals in bathurst and that's not even um I guess drilling down on in terms of what's even the affordability isn't even in there. So I think access to affordable, suitable, long term. I mean, housing is something that's needed for young people. So I think that at times it's um, young people need a collaborative response from from also child protection as well. Yeah. Uh, sometimes at fifteen you can't go and rent your own house. You're too young, no. and, and you, you also can't. I guess our services will work really, really closely with family. And I guess the ideal option for us is, for families in general, is is around working with the young person, the child, young person or family, and trying to work towards uh, that young person restoring back home to family. And we do that through, you know, a variety of ways. But um but I guess that's the best option we can hope for. But when that, when a young person can't return home, that's when um, there, there needs to be access to youth-specific affordable housing, housing, and that's not always an option. We do have transitional, some transitional housing properties in, in Bathurst, but we have none in, in in Orange. So often, young people will be referred to our to our refuge uh, services. Do really well for a few months. You know, re-engage with education. Start to you know start to work through some of their some of their their their, their issues. And I guess you know we start to work with them around um, living independently. And, you know, our staff will spend time with them around them being tenancy ready, but then um, there is no exit point. Um, so mm-hmm. often our refuges are sometimes full of kids that should be in independent housing, but there's no there's no availability. So that really, um, that, that that's complex for us because we can't, yeah, because we've also got referrals coming in for crisis kids, but we can't take them because we've got kids stuck in the refuge because they can't get help can't get housing. So that gets really frustrating for us. Yeah. And so Jody, in regards to homelessness, there's so many misconceptions around homelessness and you've said a few things today around, you know, young people have been homeless for a while before they actually get to you. And I know that in itself can be a huge misconception for a lot of people. Drawing on your personal experience in your work, what do you think of some of the myths that exist around youth homelessness and the issues young people face? Some of the myths are, look, I think it's a myth to suggest that there's, there is not um, home, a homelessness issue in our communities. I, I do meet a lot of people and they ask what I do and, and then they, 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 they sometimes they'll comment, I can't, oh, is, is there really young people that are homeless in the community? And uh, that's, that, that scares me because, because there is and the numbers are increasing. So I guess the first myth is that, yes, there is a youth homelessness mm. issue in our, in, in our communities and there's been services for you know many many years uh, working with, with with this cohort of kids, and I guess working with them to move, to to support them to get through it. And, and I guess the other myth is that um, you know if you're homeless, you, you I don't know you're not going to do well in life. I guess that's something I feel 
quite passionate about that um, sometimes you you know you can become homeless but that doesn't mean that that has to uh, define no. your future and I know so many young people that um, that I've that I've worked with that um, have have managed to get through it and managed to uh, move through their homelessness find independent accommodation get a job and and, and, and I guess um, move forward in their life so that would be another uh, another myth. Another myth for me is that, and I deal with a lot of the broader communities that um, young people, you know, they want to be homeless and and um, it's their fault um, that they can't mm-hmm. return home. I guess um, I've been on the other side of it for a long time. I don't think I've met any one young person that wants to be homeless. And no. uh, I, I guess if you really dig in and engage with with, with young people, you'll find that uh, there's some pretty significant issues or, I guess, experiences that, that they've had that have um, caused them to be uh, without without shelter or care. And it's, I guess, our role to, to, to walk with them, stand beside them and, and support them through it. Definitely. And I think sometimes it's cracking that outer shell and actually getting into the core issues and you realise this young person's been on a very intense journey of experience at such a young age, which has obviously led to them where they are. And sometimes and most of the time it's at no fault of their own and um, they find themselves in the predicament without a room or a bed or a family to support them. Yeah. I think um, just, I guess, locally for us too, uh, this is probably around the perception of um, youth services, but um, another myth that I I was talking about with some, a young person a couple of weeks ago was that the refuges are scary and there's bars mm. on the windows and it's um, <laughs> they're they're not very nice and I guess another myth for us is that um, our youth refuges are homely um, they're safe they're clean most of the time <laughs> um, and um, they have housed many thousands of young mm. people and we we're very proud of our youth refuges and we look after them uh, but yeah I, I guess that that's probably a myth just more around um, the perception of uh, what they are and what they do. Um, And I've been out to your services and visited your teams and I've seen the refuges and they're pretty cool homes. You've got great setups there that are really nourishing and supportive for young people to move through their experiences and trauma and come out the other side quite successful and I've met a few of your young people too and they're great human beings. They're great young people who really want to contribute and do something amazing with their lives. They just end up in the circumstances they are in and need some support and help. And no, your homes are beautiful. I'm really great facilities, Jody. So I guess, Jody, what changes or initiatives would you like to see to better help young people? Oh, okay, that's a big question. <laughs> I've definitely got to put out there. We'd love, I guess, in terms of service model, uh, we'd love some investment in the foyer model out in the regions. Yeah. Uh, out west, I, I guess the foyer model is, is something that um, a lot of people at Veritas are supportive of and would love Western New South Wales young people to have access to. So um, that would be one thing. Probably the second thing would be that, you know, our ministers and government commit to to stable funding um, that's not up and down yep. and unpredictable and I, I guess we're starting to sign contracts for three years not really sure whether we'll get indexation or mm. if the RO will be will be sorted out so 
I guess it's still quite unpredictable. So we we I, that's one wish that w- that we have that we have here at Veritas is that we we know very clearly for the next three years what funding we have, and I guess there is some predictab- predictability about that because I have you know a lot of a lot of great staff that want to perform their roles, but they also need some um, predictability around what kind of models we're running and um, how much money we have to, to to run them. I guess the big thing too for us is that. We receive funding for for different services from DCJ, which we're, we're so appreciative of. But I guess the big thing that really worries me is that in order for us to deliver our youth SHS or our Premier's Youth Initiative or our high app services or our, even our PSP, we need access to affordable housing. It's great that the government's funding us to provide support to some of the most vulnerable in our community, but a lot of that support requires housing. When services or, you know, um, young people don't have access to affordable housing, we can only do half the job. So I guess one of the biggest pressure points for us in Bathurst and Orange, I'm sure across the state, is just we we, we need more housing. We need access to more affordable housing. And I'm not sure what the answer is around that, but um, our services will continue to be compromised in terms of, and our refuge is full because we, we, we can't transition these young people into into safe and also appropriate um, affordable housing uh, because the the market is it's not there. Um, I guess when you're, you're working in a, a real estate market of um, less than one percent of vac- <laughs> a vacancy rate, mm. and then you're a young person that you know, and I'm just going to put this out there that real estate there might be some discrimination around renting to young people. I guess there's higher rental costs. Got uh, young people have fewer financial reserves, and it's it, it's a competitive market. Look, it's definitely a concern for for, for us at Veritas. I, and I guess a concern for our advocacy for young people. Yeah, definitely. And you've hit some really important issues there, especially around young people going into private rentals. But not only that, youth-specific housing. We know that just putting young people in any housing is not the best way to get them set up for success as adults. So having access to affordable but appropriate housing is something that um, would make a meaningful difference is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, for sure. I think um, we've got to break through this somehow because... There's a lot of resilient um, young people out there and I think the only thing stopping them is access to affordable housing. But also we want to continue to do our jobs at the refuges and at the moment they're full of um, young people that um, really should be in independent housing. Yeah, <laughs> so yep, there's no exit. <laughs> there's no exit. And Bottlenecked. Yeah. Has to be has to be sort of worked through. Also, I guess, and, and I guess working with government on, on innovative solutions I know that just locally we're working with some owners um, of properties just to go, look, this is who we are, this is what we do, to sort of allay their fears around renting to young people. And I know that lots of services across the state, including Y Foundations, have been a part of that as well. My, my next thing would be probably be just our responses to under-16s. I think under-16s don't have the option to be, you know, go into independent no. housing. I think the complexity lies with... I guess who who takes responsibility um, for a young person that is fourteen, where um, parental responsibility sits with the parents, but um, but th- th- there is not a lot of um, accountability from the parents, or they may be going through the, mm. through their own issues. SHS services can't um, can't 
we, we, we want to support under 16s, but we can't support them up until they're 18. You can't have a, yeah. a, a 15 year old in a refuge for three no. years. So I guess it, it's, it's, uh, I think we need to rethink our responses, but we do need a bit of help from DCJ on that. Responses to under 16s. It's, it goes hand in hand. It's, it's, it's the SHS providers, it's the families, and it's also DCJ. So I think we've got to do a lot, a lot more work on on that to provide the support that that, that that cohort of kids needs. Definitely. And we do know across our sector that there is a big hole in the pathway out of homelessness for young people, and that is appropriate housing that supports young people who are part of that cohort um, when they can't live with their families, um, but there's not a child protection response being provided. So that is one that we are working with closely with the sector and DCJ to try and work through. But as you've said, Jody, we are still got a lot to do in trying to find out what is the best solution and where the resources will be coming from to fund and support um, those initiatives. So Jody, I, I couldn't agree more on all the things you've said today. And I'm so thankful um, that you have agreed to be part of our inaugural podcast episodes. I just want to thank you um, for your enduring commitment to helping young people. It's because of people like yourself and so many other service providers, our young people do get a response and they do get supported. And I know underneath you is a very strong, dedicated, trained workforce that work tirelessly for our young people. And at the very bottom of that is all these young people who are so resilient um, and they want to live good lives and they've been through trauma and exposed to circumstances no young people should be exposed to but still want to do better, still want to get an education, still want employment. So we thank you for representing all those groups of human beings and we thank you for the work you do um, and appreciate you dedicating your time to the podcast today. Thanks, Pam. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Jody. Thanks for listening to the Young and Homeless podcast. See you next time.